Welcome to Reproductive Left, produced by WERU in collaboration with Mabel Wadsworth Women's Health Center, a feminist, client-centered, sexual and reproductive health care provider in Bangor, Maine. I'm your host, Abby Strout. On each show, we tackle a topic that impacts our sexual and reproductive health by inviting members of our community who work specifically on the subject. Reproductive Left covers a variety of issues, including, but certainly not limited to, reproductive rights, feminism, access to services, sexuality, gender, and relationships. To wrap up our show, we answer your sexual and reproductive health questions in our Ask Mabel segment. Be sure to stick around for it. Hi and welcome. Thanks for listening. I have a great interview for you all today with Andrea Irwin, the new Executive Director of Mabel Wadsworth Center. I've mentioned this before on previous shows, but if you're new to Reproductive Left, I want to be sure you know that I work at the center, which makes Andrea my new boss. A little bit about Andrea's background. She most recently served as the Legal and Policy Director at Consumers for Affordable Health Care, a statewide consumer health advocacy organization where she worked for five years to defend and promote the Affordable Care Act, also known as Obamacare. She grew up right in Brewer, Maine, and graduated from Bates College in Lewiston and the American University Washington College of Law in D.C. During Andrea's first week at Mabel's, we bonded by talking about our favorite podcasts. Since she lived in Portland and commuted to Augusta about an hour drive, she had a lot of time to listen to audio and became a huge podcast fan. Some of her favorites are Slate's Double X, Call Your Girlfriend, Stuff Mom Never Told You. And now on her list is Reproductive Left, which you can find on SoundCloud, iTunes, or on whatever podcast app you use. And of course, right here on WERU. I hope you enjoy the interview. Hi, Andrea. Hi, Abby. Thank you for being on Reproductive Left with me today. Thank you for having me. Uh, so I talked about in your introduction that you came to Mabel Wadsworth Center from Consumers for Affordable Healthcare. Could I have you start with just talking a little bit about what the work you did there was about? I would love to, yes. So for those of listeners that are not aware, Consumers for Affordable Healthcare is a nonprofit, nonpartisan advocacy organization uh, based in Augusta. And their mission is to advocate for every person in Maine to have access to affordable quality health care. And they really do that through primarily two ways. One is direct services to help individuals who are having trouble accessing coverage. So for example, um, a big part of what I did was to actually represent individuals as an attorney who had been denied coverage uh, with their private insurance. So I would file appeals on their behalf and that was extremely rewarding work and I enjoyed it a great deal. And then the other part of the work is um, advocacy at the state house and at the federal level um, and more of a policy side of things. And my work in that regard was really focused on implementation of the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare as some people might know it. And 
that was also extremely um, enjoyable and I learned a great deal about private health insurance and how it's regulated and also a lot about women's health because as you know Abby uh, women's health is a big part of Obamacare and a big part of the controversy within Obamacare Yes, that actually leads perfectly into what I wanted to ask you next about, which just is how you see the work that you did at, at CAKE um, relating to the work you're doing now at Mabel Wadsworth Women's Health Center. Great. And just to clarify, again, for those who don't know, uh, CAKE is the acronym that we use to say Consumers for Affordable Healthcare because it's C-A-H-C. Since it's such a long name, it's easier sometimes to say CAKE. So. That's what we really mean, not birthday cake. Although we <laughs> eat a lot of cake at cake, Yum. too. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so again, you know, I think with the Affordable Care Act, um, that was really landmark legislation for the adm advancement of women's health um, and closing the coverage gap for women because it really expanded access to millions of women, uh, including poor women, who now get Medicaid um, in the 31 states that have actually chosen to expand Medicaid. Unfortunately, as you know, Maine is not one of those states, but also to the millions of women and families nationwide who are now getting uh, subsidies or tax credits to help pay for their uh, private health insurance through the health insurance exchanges or marketplace um, as part of Obamacare. And this was such an important victory for women because historically women have uh, really had a harder time accessing health coverage. They were more likely, as you know, to work part-time and then not have access to employer-based coverage. And in most states, uh, women used to be charged more for health insurance just based on their gender. Fortunately, in Maine, that was not the case. We did not allow gender rating, but in many states, uh, women were being charged more. So that was one of the many reforms that Obamacare uh, implemented that that helped level the playing field for women. I just wanted to add, I remember at that time that a lot of the women's organizations across the country were celebrating that being a woman was no longer a pre-existing condition. Yes, absolutely. And that was really such an important aspect of the law. I think that's incredibly important to remember and celebrate. Um, and, it, and it really strikes at so many aspects of it, the gender rating, but also the fact that uh, prior to the Affordable Care Act, people could be excluded based on pre-existing conditions, including pregnancy, having had a C-section, women who were survivors of domestic violence and had been treated for that, all of these different aspects. And so it very clearly was um, a huge victory that we could say being a woman is no longer a pre-existing condition. So I love that too, and I'm glad you remembered that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good tagline. Yeah. But to get back to your sort of original question. I, I could talk about this for a long time, as you might guess. <laughs> it's a favorite topic of mine. Um, so at Consumers for Affordable Healthcare, that, the focus of my work there was really on helping people access health coverage to get the care they need. And a big part of that work, um, particularly in the last uh, couple of years, was working with the uh, Cover Me Now Coalition, which is the group to, um, that was really fighting to get Maine to accept the federal funds to cover more people with Maine care. Um, and again, I know Mabel Wadsworth is a part of this group and as well as more than 100 other organizations and healthcare providers around the state of Maine. And, you know, throughout that work, 
um, we talked a lot about how we know that when people have access to coverage through Maine Care, they're more likely to get the care they need. They don't put off needed regular routine care. Um, they're more likely to have a regular um, relationship with their provider, like a primary care physician. And now that I work at Mabel Wadsworth, which is a healthcare provider, I can really see on the other side of it how true all that really is. You know, we do know that women are forgoing care that need it. We know that women need help. We know that there are women that are still uninsured. Um, I think one of the more frustrating aspects of the debate during the main care expansion discussion was that Governor LePage and a lot of Republicans would say, well, we don't need to do that because people now have access to the marketplace and they shouldn't, we don't need this as much as people think. Um, but the truth is there are still people that do not make enough to qualify for the marketplace subsidies and there's still a lot of uninsured people. And here at Mabel Wadsworth, as you know, we have a great uh, gaining access program and so women that are uninsured can qualify and pay a reduced rate. We have a sliding scale so that they can still get the care they need even if they don't have insurance. And again, from this new standpoint on the healthcare provider side, um, it just really amplifies for me why it's so important that we achieve those policy goals that we've set out. It's, it's so incredibly important and that these are truly individuals' lives that are being affected. So for listeners, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Reproductive Left. Here with me on the show today is Andrea Irwin, the new executive director at Mabel Wadsworth Women's Health Center. Um, so Andrea, you've been talking about, um, from a provider's perspective, some of the gaps in coverage, um, talking about women who um, don't qualify for main care, but also don't make enough money to be able to access the marketplace. What other gaps are you seeing in coverage? Well, one of the most significant gaps in coverage, as you know, Abby, is uh, the discrimination that poor women face. And that's the discrimination um, created by the Hyde Amendment, which is the policy at the federal level that prohibits uh, federal programs like Medicaid from paying for abortion care for poor women. And this has been a policy on the books uh, since the late 70s, and it really came out of um, anti-choice legislators or congressmen, Congressman Hyde, <laughs> who, who his goal was to uh, really get at prohibit or reducing access for women. And he thought he wanted to do whatever he could to limit women's access to abortion care. So this was the way to do it, to go after Medicaid, which is a federal, the federal health care program for low-income people. If there were ways he could do it more broadly, he would have. So that's really key to think about. And unfortunately, this has now been policy for many, many years. And fortunately, though, uh, we have a new proactive bill um, that was just introduced recently. It's called the Equal Access to Abortion Coverage and Health Insurance, or Each Woman Act. And this is really groundbreaking legislation and reproductive justice because for the first time we're calling on getting rid of the Hyde Amendment altogether and also banning all of these uh, state-based prohibitions that would prohibit um, individual insurance companies from paying for abortion care in the states that are part of the Obamacare marketplaces. And that's huge. 
Um, as you know, there have been hundreds of anti-choice bills set forth in states across the nation. This Congress is clearly committed to doing all that they can to limit a woman's right to choose. And so this bill is great. It's proactive. It's taking a bold step in saying this is not okay. Women, it shouldn't matter. No ma like it shouldn't matter how much money you have or what your insurance coverage is. You should have access to abortion care. Recently, Governor LePage failed to veto some bills that he had intended to veto. One of the bills that was included was LD 319 which um, increases access to reproductive health services for women in our state. Can you talk a little bit about what that, what happened there? Sure, and you know I really want to give credit here to our partners at Maine Family Planning and Planned Parenthood of Northern New England and Maine Women's Lobby and the ACLU because I know they've all worked really hard on this bill and defeating all of the anti-choice bills uh, that were before us this session. Um, it's, it's just been a crazy legislative session, <laughs> to say the least, and we're so fortunate that this bill has somehow made it through. Um, we don't know yet what the legal outcome will be, but it is law right now. We certainly believe that. And this is such an exciting um, policy change because this really gets at helping those women I was talking about earlier, the low-income women that are left out because Maine did not accept the federal funds to expand Maine care. This would essentially uh, equalize coverage for women that would otherwise be eligible for main care because they're pregnant, and it would allow them to qualify for uh, family planning services, so birth control, well women care, breast cancer screenings, um, all of that care, and it actually covers men too, I don't think a lot of people know that, so that men can get access to STI screenings and those sorts of services as well. Um, and so this is a really huge um, expansion of services for people that really need it, and its emphasis is on prevention, which is so critically important to this population. What else is being done in Maine to help those who are left in the gap and remain uninsured? So as I mentioned earlier, the Cover Me Now Coalition is still working tirelessly on this issue, um, and I'm sure will continue to do so until Maine does accept the funds. And uh, there are a lot of um, safety net programs in place that people should know about. Um, for example, here at Mabel's, as we mentioned, we have the GAP program for women. There's also uh, federally qualified health centers throughout the state that offer uh, help for people that are uninsured. And hospitals offer sliding scale and free care to people that are uninsured and qualify. So there are options for people. I think that's one of the most important things that we can let people know is that there is help available. It's not the same thing as having insurance coverage and it's it's really just a band-aid for a much bigger problem but in the meantime people do have options and this is a good opportunity for me to give a plug for the Consumers for Affordable Healthcare um, helpline. Um, if you do have questions about health care or health coverage. Um, they operate a statewide toll-free consumer assistance helpline. It's open Monday through Friday, 8.30 to 4.30, and the number is 1-800-965-7476. And this staff is simply amazing. They stay up to date on all of the different rules and regulations with respect to main care and Obamacare. 
and will really help individuals navigate the complicated processes. So if anyone has questions, I highly recommend that they call the CAKE helpline. Great. Thank you, Andrea. So it is actually close to time for us to move into our Ask Mabel segment, where nurse practitioner Terry Mar Marley DeRosier will answer your sexual and reproductive health questions. Um, Andrew, do you have anything you'd like to add, one takeaway or two takeaways for our listeners? Um, I think it's just really important to celebrate how much of an impact the Affordable Care Act has had so far on women's health. We just found out that so far women have saved $1.3 billion um, just on birth control alone because we now have the requirement that private insurance has to cover birth control without cost sharing, so no copay or other out-of-pocket expenses. And that is so huge. Um, I have a friend on Facebook and there was a conversation that I'm sure you have similar Facebook conversations happening about heavy periods and cramping and she shared that she doesn't have that problem anymore. She has an IUD thanks to Obamacare, which I loved. And that's exactly the, the reason we need to celebrate it. You know, that's an IUD would be out of pocket, maybe $500 or more. And thanks to Obamacare, it's free. So I really want people to know about that and to take advantage of it if they're not already. Thank you. That's Andrea Irwin, the new executive director at Mabel Wadsworth Women's Health Center. Welcome to Ask Mabel with nurse practitioner Terry Marley DeRosier. She's here, as always, to answer your sexual and reproductive health questions. If you have a question, please email educate at mabelwadsworth.org. All right, so we're going to continue our conversation today about menopause. We talked about it in the last episode a month ago, um, and we, we told you that we'd continue this topic. So our first question, Terry, is um, for women who have begun menopause, should they be concerned about birth control? Hey, Abby. Um, I want to just start by saying that, as we talked about in our last episode, um, the perimenopausal years prior to the actual cessation of period um, still allows for a time when a woman could be at risk of pregnancy. Um, although her periods may be irregular, she may indeed still be ovulating, even though it's not on a regular basis. So the risk of pregnancy is diminished um, as we are in our 40s and beyond, um, with cycles becoming irregular, but the risk still exists. So we certainly would encourage the use of a contraceptive method until you have been without your period for one full year. Um, unfortunately, a lot of women, you know, postmenopause, um, assume that there is, you know, because there is no risk of pregnancy anymore after that full year of no periods, they will often stop using condoms as well, um, which is fine if they've been in a long-term committed relationship and neither partner uh, is sexually intimate with anyone else. Um, However, if you're with another uh, partner, a new partner, uh, we still are encouraging condoms because unfortunately the um, incidence of sexually transmitted infection, including HIV, is on the rise in the older population. Women that are in the perimenopausal are often told to use the low-dose birth control pills. What are the benefits of the low-dose? 
typically now we use low-dose contraceptive um, uh, combination oral contraceptives, Abby. Uh, 25 to 35 micrograms of estrogen seems to be the dose that most practitioners are prescribing. Um, the advantage to the perimenopausal woman uh, being on uh, oral contraceptives is it will help her to maintain a regular and predictable uh, menstrual cycle. It may also reduce uh, the incidence of premenstrual syndrome uh, or uh, premenstrual dysphoric disorder, uh, which tends to be uh, more uh, common and gets worse uh, with the onset of perimenopause. Um, and also, low-dose birth control pills may help relieve some of the minor um, menopausal symptoms like hot flushing, uh, irritability, uh, and insomnia. Uh, we also may have a small benefit to our bone health uh, if we're on oral contraceptives uh, during the perimenopausal um, period because of the little benefit of the estrogen that's in uh, the oral contraceptive. Um, fibroids, which are non-malignant growths of the uterus, may actually be held in check more effectively if we're also on oral contraceptives. If you do use oral contraceptives for a minimum of two to three years, they may they may actually have a benefit to uh, reduce your risk of endometrial or uterine cancer as well as ovarian cancer. Does Menopause affect a woman's libido? There are a lot of myths around older women and sexuality. Um, but typically I like to say if you are enjoying sex before menopause, the odds are that you will continue to enjoy sex after menopause. Um, but there are some things that we know contribute to diminishing a woman's libido or sex drive. Um, sometimes the medications that we may be taking in older years, like blood pressure medications uh, or antidepressants, can really have a negative impact on libido. Um, Citalopram, which is a generic form of Celexa, um, is an antidepressant that seems to have less of an impact on um, sex drive. We should be aware of our alcohol intake. Um, alcohol intake in excess can really suppress a woman's ability to achieve orgasm. Um, these are some simple things that we could be thinking about um, and taking some action on. Uh, vaginal dryness, as we talked about in our last episode, can make intercourse uncomfortable. So certainly to be aware that if you've been uncomfortable, you know, that message is there for you. So to think ahead and make sure that you have lubricants, um, that maybe you're addressing the issue of antihistamine use, uh, may help with the actual comfort of intercourse. Um, but the sexuality frequency for a lot of older women remains the same, if not even higher, because they may feel liberated, no longer having to worry about contraceptive needs. Um, and often, you know, their household children have left, um, so they have more privacy, so they have more availability um, to be active sexually. And do you have any other tips for women on ways to maintain their sex drive if they are experiencing changes? There are some medications that providers um, have been prescribing off-label um, to enhance a woman's sexuality. Um, testosterone creams in low doses may be applied um, to the skin. 
um, by prescription, these drugs, this drug is available. Um, but there can be some non-medicinal um, ways that we can approach uh, libido. Communication is a key. Um, making sure you know that you're open with your partner about what you're feeling and why, what your needs are. Um, oftentimes, um, we can take the pressure off penetrative sex if vaginal discomfort is a concern, and focus more on uh, other sensual pleasuring masturbation, oral stimulation, um, and that can uh, take a lot of that uh, desire uh, to a higher level because you're not feeling the worry around pain. Um, these are things I think that we can explore with our partner uh, to find ways that make sexuality still a pleasurable um, and fun experience for us well into our later years of life. Great, thank you Terry. For more information about Mabel Wadsworth Center, visit www.mabelwadsworth.org or Mabel Wadsworth Women's Health Center on Facebook. Thanks for listening to Reproductive Left, produced by WERU in collaboration with Mabel Wadsworth Women's Health Center. I'm Abby Strout. Tune in next time, the first Tuesday of the month at 4 p.m. right here at WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming everywhere at www.weru.org.